The Federal Reserve was the big headline all week long. And what did they do? Absolutely nothing. Except they did say they're probably going to hike one more time. Wall Street doesn't want to hear it. We're hearing about the higher for longer narrative. They're done with it. Stocks had the worst performing week since March. Is the selling going to continue? Some say yes, but we're not sure. So we're here to answer everything for you today. And we have a very special featured guest with us. He is, well, he has been with CNN for over 20, or was with CNN for over 20 years, but what he's doing now is even better. Paul LaMonica is joining Buy, Hold, Sell. Paul, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. appreciate it. Paul, and of Paul, course, with off, me is Tobin Smith. Yeah. Well, first off, Paul, understand that Todd did take a little speed this morning, okay? And then when you throw <laughs> down some coffee, you know, so I just don't want you to be shocked and think that this is what the normal Todd Schoenberger is. It's all Two good. Shots I'm, of espresso I'm always, 15 minutes I'm always caffeinated. By the end of the day, though, it wears off. I'm usually a water and diet ginger ale guy post yeah, lunchtime. Yeah. Yeah, so. I'm calming down with the grapefruit soda right now. Go. Yeah, <laughs> there, well, there, on, there may be bourbon in my future after we tape this, but not absolutely, absolutely. Exactly. And I and I think the audience might be thinking the same thing because after this week that we just had, Paul, I got to say, I mean, the selling is the Wall Street traders do not want to hear the higher for longer. You had a very uh, great piece that went out on your sub stack and you're talking about similar thoughts. But what do you think? I mean, are we going to see any type of a turnaround in the markets in the near future? Yeah, I mean, it is worth pointing out that despite all of the historical market crashes in October that we've had over the years and a lot of the volatility. September typically is the worst month for the market. So it shouldn't be a big surprise that we're seeing uh, this downdraft right now. The big question, I think, for investors and traders going forward really is how quickly do they adjust to this higher for longer narrative? Is there going to be another rate hike in November, in December? And then what does the Fed do in 2024? I think rate cuts that were starting to be priced in might get pushed out to later in the year, maybe even 2025 if inflation continues to be a major mm-hmm. problem. Yeah, I think you might be right about that. Toby, we, you, we talked about this yesterday. I mean, right now it doesn't look good. There's a lot of pressure on the downside. You have the UAW strike. You have a potential shutdown with the U.S. government. I mean, what else can go wrong right now? I mean, what do you think? Are we going to get out of this and start the fourth quarter on a high note? I mean, first off, it seemed like there was two camps on Wall Street for a while. And one camp was severely delusional. The delusional group is, oh, yeah, not only do we get a soft landing, but we're going to start cutting rates. uh, and, And that's not literally possible. Because, you know, if you actually opened a book or something or ever did any math, I, I guess we don't do that anymore. We just we call, you know, TikTok and ask what's going on. Um, the the structural strength of the top 20 percent of these households that are responsible for almost 80 percent of discretionary spending. That's up. I realize credit card you know, uh, defaults are going up. I certainly realize that, you know, uh, uh, repossessions of cars are going up, but they're going off a very, very low level. And let's, you know, let's be honest, when a Ford 150 costs $65,000, the same truck that somebody bought for 20,000 years ago, I mean, not everybody can afford a $1,200 payment. That was the average payment uh, last month. So 
So then we have, you know, I always talk about the, the 63 super counties in, in the United States that also account for 75%. The, if you look at their unemployment rates, they're below the national unemployment rate. I mean, we still have two jobs for every one person available. So the idea that, number one, that we could go back to 2% inflation as the target when the world today is completely different, all of that disinflation we had, you know, since China came into the market, that's going mm -hmm. away. Deglobalization, uh, energy, but mostly deglobalization, reshoring. We can't all, you know, Mexico is now the largest exporter in the United States. They can't send us any more shit. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it, it, it's not going to work. So, so, so that's the conundrum because the conundrum is, uh, oh, by the way, uh, the Fed is selling $95 billion of bonds into the marketplace. We, right, Paul? Whatever. Yeah. We, everybody wondered what was going to happen when we went to quantitative tightening. Well, I think we're sort of seeing part of that. The world can only buy so many of our 10-year bonds. We are going to run a one point, or excuse me, $2.4 trillion deficit in the fiscal year. So that means we're going to sell another 2.4. So I think reality now has started to catch up with the actual market. And then on mm -hmm. top of everything else, uh, you know, like, dude, when you have a five and a half percent ten-year bond, and you discount the present value, you know, of the future earnings of the Magnificent Seven, which, which up until three weeks ago were ninety-six percent of all the gains in the market, yeah. somebody did. And so I don't know what was it that you know we're. Here, here's yeah. my here's my other one quickly, Paul. That really gets me. When I was started on Wall Street as a bond guy, um, you know, we raised rates. Red uh, Volcker did his thing. But at that time, the United States had a three and a half trillion dollar economy. We only owed two hundred and forty billion dollars. Today, we're at one hundred and forty three percent debt to our GDP, and we still have to borrow. And and you know, Japan is not going to buy anymore. China is certainly mm -hmm. not going to buy anymore. No, China is definitely out of, yeah. out so, of the picture at this point. Who the fuck are going to buy these bonds now? And that's what's getting priced <laughs> in. You know, there's too many yeah. bonds for not enough buyers. And when you can lock in, you know, pension plans that I work with, you know, they're looking for a seven, eight percent annual yield. That's all they needed to get to their point. If you can lock in five and a half percent on your bond and bonds eventually go up in value because rates go down. Why do you need stocks? Well, well, I'm going to push I'm going to push back real quick on that one. Paul. Sure. I mean, interrupt you. But but you have I mean, you still have yields that are shooting higher. We see the 10 year yield. It's actually the highest it's been in 15 years. Yeah. yeah Katie Stockton on buy hold. So she she's actually predicted a five and a quarter percent yield on that 10 year. I mean, if that's the case and you have selling the pressure that's taking place in the market. That's who's buying the bonds. The equity investors are moving more into that fixed income side. You are right, though. Once rates start to drop. Yeah, there's all kinds of uh, issues you have to start right. thinking about. But, no, and I think but you're so, definitely yeah, I mean, I think you're definitely seeing uh, with bond yields finally uh, resembling something that is closer to oh. being attractive for uh, uh, someone that wants income. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, REITs, utilities, there there have been troubles there. The thing that concerns me, particularly with this soft landing narrative that is starting, I think, to finally fade is, <laughs> yes, go. exactly, is that, that who... Who didn't buy a house already? Rates were low. Yeah, is going to be able, especially if you are someone who is not in a position to sell something that you bought yeah. that was inflated during that great period when prices were appreciating so rapidly. You might still be able to sell something now and buy something, but why would you want to do that with mortgage rates where you are? 
But a first time home buyer, that is not in the cards with rates where they are right now. And I think that is certainly, I think, something that is uh, troublesome. I, I don't believe that we're going to have another 2008 event necessarily, but we, we saw some of the stress with regional banks earlier this year mm -hmm. with First Republic needing its Jamie right. Diamond bailout and Signature and Silicon mm -hmm. Valley. I mean, again, I'm not, I was around for 2008, worked at CNN, remember Lehman Weekend, not, yep. not fun times. And I don't think that's going to happen again, but people are being way too optimistic if they think that financials are going to come out of this looking just fine, especially since, oh, by the way, all of those two big to fail banks from 2008 are two bigger. <laughs> I mean, how big can JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America, City, even Wells, because Wells bought Wachovia in 2008. They were giants then, and now they're they're behemoths. Yeah. Well, Paul, I would also, you know, point out for some reason I, I tell our subscribers and money management clients that what would really be great is you could take the little pill and just forget about 2010 through 2022. In other words, the the, the with zero and negative interest rates, there really was Tina. There is no alternative. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, there was five trillion. Excuse me. What I'm trying to say. There was 15 trillion pumped into the monetary systems. Has any of that come out? No, it's still there. It, you know, it's got to go someplace. It's just finally, you know, people said, well, Christ, I'm not going to put it in, in a bond and, and make a two-year return. I'd actually lose money to bonds as interest rates go up, which they they did. I mean, I think people forget on this 60-40, you know, traditional portfolio in 222, they were down 30% on their stocks. They were down 28% in their bonds. I, I, I cannot remember a time other than 2008 when something like that happened. So if you forget about, uh, you know, Tina, if you forget about zero, if you forget about the, you know, the Fed, you forget about monetary policy, you know, what, and just go back to sort of what's normal. There's financial gravity. And when interest rates on the 10-year risk-free go up, financial gravity pushes equity values down to a point where they're, rel they're relative to each other. Retail investors don't sit there with a discounted present value model and say a click or you know, do this. But here's one other thing you got added. You know, when I ran mutual funds, this is the time with your October 31st uh, fiscal year end for active mutual funds, not ETFs, but for the actives where you basically sell, you know, a lot of your, take your profits on your good stuff and you match it against your losses. So that way your shareholders don't get, you know, taxes, right? So we had this, you know, AI uh, uh, craze. And, you know, NVIDIA is up 264% at the time, you know, blah, 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 blah. C3 AI, which doesn't have any AI, is up, you know, 180%. So it's very natural at this time for active money managers to be cashing in. As I always like to say, the stock market since 1959 has re returned about 7.5%. If you get 40 years of gains in a three-month period, and you're a money manager getting paid to do this. If I didn't take gains, my little ass would be on the street. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'd be Aaron Rodgers. I'd be running there down the field, and then you know, I'd be lying on the ground. Okay, yeah. so, um, <laughs> so that's natural now. But what's the incentive to be buying the dip? And and I'll go into you know just the charts very quickly, saying that now every technical that I have says that we have to sort of re go back to the 200-day moving average on the S&P 500, just to mm -hmm. shake out, you know, all the new money. 
Right. Well, as a Giants fan, uh, I don't take offense at the uh, the Aaron Rodgers <laughs> joke. We just we just can't mention uh, you know uh, what happened uh, on uh, this past uh, Thursday night. It, you know, everyone's going to be uh, getting ready to watch their favorite football team uh, later today on uh, Sunday. Uh, I'm glad that uh, you know my misery is already over. <laughs> but Got out of the way. The people who are on the podcast, he's wearing a green shirt. Okay, so I'm. <laughs> So uh, before we go to the break, Paul, quick question for you. So you uh, you have a, a probably a, a extremely um, I mean it's platinum Rolodex. I mean if you have with all the contacts you've been, you were a writer for the CNN for over two decades. You clearly know everybody on Wall Street, writing about Wall Street issues. The overall over, over the last say 12, 18 months, what has been the vibe from some of your contacts? I mean, have they? been negative? Are they thinking, okay, we are going to be heading into a recession? Or is everyone saying, you know what, I think everything's going to be okay, and we will have that soft landing? Uh, probably something in between. I mean, I, I don't know that many people who are concerned from a 2008-ish type of uh, level, because I do believe that it is good news that the big banks for, you know, if you want to give credit to bank executives for being more prudent and not taking on as much risk, you know, you could thank maybe uh, Dodd-Frank and, you know, some of the regulations yeah. that were put into place, even though, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, think that Elizabeth Warren is public enemy number one on Wall Street. Uh, so I don't get the sense from people I talk to that another apocalypse is coming but there is definitely more caution to Tobin's point before you don't get these types of gains in such a short period of time without having pullbacks call them corrections you know bear markets they don't have to be so much bloodshed to scare people out for the long term but you know people I talk to are definitely more concerned uh Especially since we've had this mentality with retail investors, uh, you know, I'm not going to go out and, and say that all of the quote unquote apes out there don't know what they're doing. But mm -hmm. <laughs> what we've seen with the likes of GameStop and AMC in the past couple of years, yes, it's kind of fun to empower the retail investor and stick it to the proverbial man and, and watch yeah. these hedge funds and other institutions that have shorted companies that maybe they didn't totally understand get their comeuppance. But, you know, let's be honest, good old fashioned buy and hold value investing shouldn't be dead. I mean, you do need to look at earnings, look at a balance sheet, companies that are highly leveraged, especially with rates going up right now, don't deserve these types of valuations. So I am a little worried, like many of the people I talk to, that you know this has been uh, too far, too fast uh, with regards to this bull rally this year. Yeah. Hmm. Well, there yeah. you go. I like that. Well, Toby, let, let's leave it there on this block because okay. uh, we have because coming up after the break, Paul has a very interesting take on the uh, the UAW strike, and he actually is saying it might be good news for auto stocks. But we'll get into that with him after the break. So please stay with us. Buy, hold, sell, brought to you by Crosscheck Management.
how much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers. Every episode of Double Down with Breslow is packed with insider tips, deeply skilled analysis, and in-depth discussions. Don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting. Listen to Double Down with Breslow on the Evergreen Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Double Down with Breslow, the business of sports betting podcast. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. Hey, this is Jeff Hurst, editor-in-chief of the Stock Traders Almanac. you got to listen to Todd and Toby on Buy, Hold, Sell. Higher for longer, but Wall Street definitely did not like it this week. We actually saw the Dow have the worst performing week since March. It was off the over, up almost 3%, I'm sorry on the week and that actually brings the loss going back to august 1st we're down four and a half percent not good if you're an equity investor and you were thinking okay this thing's going to just keep running but we have a very special guest with us paula monica is staying with us right now he is you probably know him as the featured business editor over at cnn he was there for over two decades and now he's on the bigger and better things right now we're we're really uh, happy that he's taking the time to join us today. Uh, Paul, I got to ask, though, when is this bottom going to hit? Because we have had a number of uh, of Wall Street celebrity-type guests, just like yourself, that have been on Buy, Hold, Sell. And they came right out and said, August and September, we're going to be down months. Um, I don't think anybody anticipated it being this bad. But what do you think? Are we going to see that bottom anytime soon? And if so, when? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. If I uh, knew definitively the uh, the answer to that, uh, I probably wouldn't be telling too many people. But no, I, I, don't honestly, wuss out, Paul. Do not wuss out. I'm not wussing out. I didn't get there yet. So I don't. That we are going to hit bottom in October because I I still don't believe that investors have priced in just yet the likelihood that there will be one more rate hike probably this year. Inflation has not been defeated to Jerome Powell and other Fed members liking 
just yet. And I don't believe that investors are factoring in earnings for the fourth quarter, maybe not being Mm -hmm. as healthy as they had originally expected. And then 2024, everything is in question with regards to what earnings growth is going to be like. So until there's more certainty, I don't think we we bottom until maybe later this year when Tobin's probably going to laugh and, and screech at me for bringing up this hackneyed uh, little thing. But the Santa Claus rally. That hey, there we go. To talk about. Hey, Love once a, a financial Claus, journalist, right? always a financial journalist. If we <laughs> can talk about something as cheesy as the Santa Claus rally, we will do so. No, uh, it's it's yeah. not crazy. It's, it's not, not cheesy. cheesy. No, it's not cheesy because it is based <laughs> in facts and yeah. real numbers, but you know, yeah, well, it's it's you know, I mean, listen, we have Jeff Hirsch on all the time, and he's been you know all over this for since I knew his dad for crying out loud forty years ago. But just as I said in the mutual funds that are now taking profits on stuff that's up 50, 60, 100, 200 percent because that's what a normal money manager should be expected to do. Conversely, as you get into the later part of the year, then the stuff that's still up, you know, you add to your book. So when the it closes on December 31, it shows you what you have. So that's that's the mechanics of Wall Street. Right. I, I would go I'd go a little bit differently here. I mean, 4,200 is that is that long held uh, support for the S&P 500. Yet, as we all know, you know, seven stocks represent more than six, about 58 percent of all that value. OK, the air has to come out of the AI bubble. Um, I, I, it was one of the fastest gaining bubbles I'd ever seen. Um, it has to come out because that shakes out the weak hands. I love a lot of metaphors on Wall Street, but weak hands and strong hands yeah. really, you know, tells me the the weak hands are just simply people. Remember, seventy two percent of the trades are by uh, algorithm, by computer. So when something's going up, they're buying it. They don't even know what they're buying. They're buying it until it goes down. Then they sell, 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 sell. So. So we're in that sell, sell, sell part now. Um, they'll try to make a stand at 4,200. If it doesn't, if the 200-day breaks, then next one's 3,800. Uh, and I, I would not, uh, I would not dismiss the idea that we got so far. What uh, every hackneyed metaphor I can use, we got so far over our skis. You know, we got so far ahead of ourselves that you got to take that air out of the balloon. And and so I'm looking yeah. more like 3,800. Now in between that. We have some sectors that we're doing very well in. Uh, Hold it, back up, back up, back up. Are you saying 3,800 in the S&P 500 this year? Yeah, is, is your headphone on or, I mean, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> I just want to make sure I got that yeah. right. Paul, you got to understand, wow. Todd Schoenberger could be at the Chicago massacre and still come out positive. He'd say, yeah, but there's like six guys who didn't get killed. Uh, <laughs> well, well, yeah, Ed, Ed, Dr. Yardeni, he came, he has 4,600. Now you're at 3,800. Yeah, it's a big wide march. Big right, wide. but Ed just changed his, his stuff this week. So you should, you know, get out of wherever you, whatever that box you're in. Um, I'll go he, to this thing. I'll go to Google. Go to this Google <laughs> thing called Google. Yeah. He, um, the Google. So again, we need <laughs> it, 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 the, the, the market since it's primarily, uh, you know, uh, traded by machines. When we get to a point that it doesn't go down, then it doesn't go down again, and then maybe we get a surprise in on something, blah blah blah. Then you certainly, you know, have that the Christmas rally, and, and that makes sense. I'm just saying that 
the actual on volume traded, it's at 3,800 where you have a lot of people in there. And um, so they're not losing money until they get to 3,800. Therefore, you know, they'll, stay, they'll, sit, they'll sit on their hands just to stay right. with the Paul, so, Paul so, any any thoughts on, on <laughs> I mean, interrupt you, Toby. Any thoughts, Paul, on the fact that we're in a pre-election year? I mean, wouldn't the idea that that Biden and the administration, they don't want to lose power. So therefore, they're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that people feel good. They feel a little wealthier. Wouldn't the idea with, that you'd see so much money juiced into the economy to try to keep stocks propped higher? It's possible i mean there's only so much that obviously the executive branch can do i mean clearly i mean we've had a lot of executive orders in the past couple of years that with the prior administration and i think continuing into now as well i think the bigger issue uh, you know considering that there are concerns about a possible government shutdown and what that's going to Mm. uh, You know, I think, you know, (laughs) investors should price in dysfunction in Washington, regardless of which party is in power. I think that is uh, something that clearly is just getting worse and worse. This uh, polarization that we have right now, I don't want to get too into the political weeds, but, you know, it definitely seems that uh, moderate politicians are kind of akin to the dodo and dinosaur and other extinct animals. You either need to be far left or far right to get through the clutter. But that that being said, the thing that I am wondering is when are we going to start to see, for all the talk about the economy losing steam potentially, we still haven't seen it at all in the jobs numbers. And I know that the jobs numbers are very lagging indicators, but yeah. eventually you're it's going to have to see we're going to, we're going to need to see some weakness. I mean, we just got what 204,000, if I remember 200, correctly, 201,000, 201,000, 201, yeah. even lower. So 201,000 yeah. on jobless claims. We've yet to have a serious deterioration in the payroll growth. So mm-hmm. as long as that happens and if wage pressures remain high ish, I mean, wage growth has slowed, but again, not so much to really take inflation out of the equation yet. Hence, Jerome Powell is still flapping like a hawk instead of a dove. I mean, I I think there are still a lot of variables here that do make me worried that there could be some more downside for the the foreseeable future because I just don't think investors are pricing it in yet. Do you remember way back, you know, like yesterday or uh, Wednesday, (laughs) when, when Jay Powell looked into the camera and said, are you morons listening to me? We, it has to be longer than you are ex, you know, putting in the futures market. I'm parenthetically on that. There's no freaking way that we're going to cut rates because we have to eliminate jobs. And the way you eliminate jobs is to slow the economy down to the point that at the margin, you fire people. I'm not talking about handsome you know, writers at CNN. I'm talking about you know, the everyday folks. <laughs> and and the, the crucible question still remains, which has been buried for the last six months, is do we have to get a recession to eliminate enough jobs to get to the 2.0? And for a while there, I was unsure. Now yeah. the math that I do says it is freaking physically impossible with two people, two jobs for every one person to get actual 
recession in or, or do it and have this soft landing. If soft landing to me was a pipe dream and now they, they've smoked all the taupe, it's like hopium. Um, and uh, just one or the other. <laughs> if, the, if the Fed comes clean and says with the deglobalization, because remember globalization is why we had such low uh, inflation rates for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Now that that's in the dustbin of history, we have to adjust our inflation number because we don't have any of the deflationary parts out there. That's That would be one. But everybody thinks if they do that, that the bond market will literally shift the bed because now they've broken their, their promises. So the only other way they get to 2%, I can't do mm-hmm. the math any other way that you have to destroy about 400,000 jobs. And we're not close to doing that. Oh, we got to invite another 400,000 Venezuelans in the United States and give them the work permits, right? <laughs> so that's the, that's, the, that's the mystery. And that's the question. And right now, the math to me says that they have to create a recession to generate mm-hmm. the jobs so that we get rid of those jobs so that prices comes down, wages. Because remember, shelter costs is 42% of the whole freaking you know CPE. Mm-hmm. Energy, we already you know, got rid of all the oil we ever had in the SPR. So that was how mm-hmm. that worked out, Joe. Um, <laughs> so there's no other le- levers yeah. to pull. Uh, yeah. So, well, okay. so does Powell now, have to be even more spoken and more negative? I mean, we're, we, we finally have a Fed chief that, for better or for worse, usually speaks in a plain spoken, not coded manner. This isn't the days of Alan Greenspan, where I used to joke that probably Andrea Mitchell had no idea what the heck he just said, and they've been (laughs) married forever. Ben Bernanke, the subprime mortgage crisis was likely to be contained until it wasn't. You know, and then Janet Yellen, I mean, she was only Fed chair for such a short period of time before, you know, now becoming Treasury Secretary. It's almost difficult to really, you know, give a track record uh, for her, even though she was under the, you know, with uh, the Bernanke uh, oh. regime for a very long period of time. But Jerome Powell, finally, the Fed has someone who isn't speaking in code. And again, that now seems to be a problem for Wall Street. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, you, you are right about it. But he is actually he is somewhat direct. I mean, he has come out and said, we're going to shoot for two percent, no matter what anyone says. The media gets the talking heads, the, the financial channels, they get the talking heads on saying, oh, the Fed's going to cut. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. He came right out and said, no, we're going to keep right. going until we hit 2%. But we're not even close to that. And it's a long road to go from 3% to 2%. And you can't just say, oh, yeah, we're going to have one more rate hike of 25 basis points, which is not going to move the needle. Toby no. is right. You have to do, you have to really crush the economy. However, you're coming up on an election year. And that's well, that, not going to happen. Yeah. So that's that's been my whole thing too. Is that after 25 years in Washington D.C., you know, rule number one, you don't uh, screw the pooch the economy during a re-election year. So I understand, you know, yeah. that by. But he's just going to be dancing like a marionette here then for the next nine months. But he right. he just got fed up. He looked in the camera and he says, "Listen to me. Read my lips." <laughs> Mission accomplished. It's it's higher for longer because we're going to, God damn it, get to this 2% unrealistic goal. So to me, these are two separate, you know, the conundrum is is just, is that this is like, uh, 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 there's a really good word for it I can't come up with. Um, It it doesn't make any sense. And yet he continues to stomp on the world and people are going, no, 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 no. 
Yeah, uh, there is this well, this will cognitive dissonance. That's the word I was looking for. There you cognitive go. Yeah. I didn't want you to correct me, Paul. No, 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 no. <laughs> but no, there is this willful sort of ignorance right now. But uh, you know, I do wonder, despite what Biden administration clearly would want for their reelection uh, chances in 2024, despite what Democrats in Congress, Republicans in Congress, whoever the Republican nominee is going to be. It's starting to look like it's going to be a repeat of the, the 2020 election, but there's still a lot of time to go. The, the question I have is that Jerome Powell has to do what's best for the economy, especially if he's now having gotten to his second term, he might be at a point where he's not going to be sticking around his Fed chair. Yeah. He's, he may not have his you know, butt out the door yet, but if he's like starting to have sweet dreams of brooking sugar plums dancing in his head or some other think tank, he may not be in a position where he can say with political calculus, I can't do this because it's going to mean this for the presidential election, mean this for the, the yeah. White House, for the race, for the White House, for what's going to happen in Congress. Because remember, I mean, I mean, 2020 is a weird situation because you can't say it's just the economy that led to Biden's win. Right. I mean, we had the pandemic, a, a once in a lifetime type event. But go back to 1992, and we all know that, you know, there is a probably significant reason why George H.W. Bush was Those not taxes. a two-term president. Yeah. It was the taxes, but also Alan Greenspan, you know, wasn't right. worrying about politics. He was worrying about the economy. He did have a recession, and... I think that was a big reason why, you know, 92 happened the way it did. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You, know, yeah. you know, when you say that, Richard, and you say that, you know, I was elected simply because uh, of Greenspan, it hurts my feelings. Oh, my God. It's very good. Uh, my okay. That's my Clinton. That's the best I can do. I, 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 I knew that I knew, was very yes, good. Yes. You just need a McDonald's cheeseburger with you. So, all yeah. right, let's let's pivot off of that. So, Paul, you wrote a very great piece, a compelling piece uh, at an investor place. So welcome the audience to go to investorplace.com. Check it out, because uh, this you are talking about the UAW strike. You actually think that this might be good for stocks, for the auto stocks. Can you explain? It's possible. I mean, I think what uh, is very interesting, and I based this on a report from uh, S3, a research firm that does a lot of looking at what's going on with uh, heavily shorted stocks. They pointed out that GM, Ford, Stellantis, the uh, Chrysler owner, that they are among the more heavily shorted stocks in the auto industry right now. Tesla is by far the most yeah. shorted. It's actually the most shorted stock period on the, the planet. And you can get into whatever reason you want for that. But what's interesting is that because there are so many bearish bets on the big three right now, it is altogether possible that whenever the UAW strike ends and things return to normal auto sales, which haven't exactly fallen off a cliff, by the way, you know, pick up even more potentially, that is something that could create the proverbial short squeeze where people rush back in and buy these stocks that have been shorted. So I think there is the possibility that there's too much negativity about the auto industry right now. Uh, but, you know, obviously a lot is going to depend on just what happens with this UAW strike and how long it lasts yeah. and 
when it really starts impacting, uh, you know, production and, of course, you know, what consumer sentiment looks like next year with the Fed still apparently raising rates is, is of course, another big question. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. Let's, let's just bear in mind quickly that the market cap of Tesla is two times larger than every other auto all put together. Yes. So on a relative basis, the, the auto industry stocks, whether they pump up and a short squeeze, you know, it doesn't affect the magnificent seven that are the 92% of all the gains. So I would disagree if you're on that, Hanson. Uh, but the, <laughs> the, it, it is intriguing that you look at service wages and, 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 and the rise they've had, and that's a big part of inflation. Yes. Uh, there's, there's no unions in the services business except for in you know the hotel and the other other uh, in the hospital and that sort of so on. The one that's bigger to me is the hospital uh, strike. Um, that's that's a big part of our economy. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, and if Kaiser people just walk out, you're going to see the other you know union and uh, they should be paid more for Pete's sake. But uh, the only chance we had in October for inflation to come down is that was the highest part of the shelter bubble and. On a year-over-year basis, uh, we sh- we were supposed to have prices come down enough, so that would really bring the core number down. Um, and yet, uh, uh, we just had uh, you know prices rise in in you know six out of the ten uh, districts. Mm-hmm. So other than San Francisco, San Francisco, you're on your own, buddy. But you know, yeah, well, down. you're right. Well, we had Dan Ives on on Buy Hold Sell uh, about a month and a half ago, and he just recently published a report talking about this strike, and he said. If it goes four weeks, it's going to have a, a mild impact on the economy. If it goes six weeks or more, it's going to have a great impact. And the reason, I mean, quite negative impact, but mainly on the EV side. So you're going to have yeah. a lot of these cars that will not be, these manufacturers that will not be able to produce those EV uh, uh, units going into well into 24, maybe even 2025. So there's that's a big issue right now. Biden, we actually just got breaking news. Biden did. He he did announce that he's headed to Michigan. Uh, he's going to get involved in the talks. Oh geez, I lost my bet. Bad. I bet against Joe Biden going to stand with the. He's I, going to was, Michigan. What was headed, I, I don't know when, but he is. He just announced he is going to be heading to Michigan for this to have. I guess to try to bring bring all the sides together, and he's going to have uh, that Lee Iacocca moment. I guess so. We'll see how it happens. So, <laughs> so who knows? So listen, we're going to leave it there, guys. So. Uh, so, Paul, how can the audience find you? Uh, so, yeah, they can find me at my uh, Substack, stack, uh, Rational Exuberance. Uh, so they can check that out if they uh, use the Google uh, and search my name and uh, Substack. stack. Uh, I am writing uh, a little bit for Investor Place. So you mentioned uh, very kindly that article about the big three and uh, the short interest. So, you know, and, and Paul, you undoubtedly, know that I, you undoubtedly know that I founded Investor Place. I did. Yeah. I did. I Look at you. Toby, you guys, you're amazing. He could, Toby could have been your boss. There we go. No, that would have never happened. <laughs> I, I only I only hire people stupider than me. It's just, it's always oh, worked oh. for me, okay? So I well, and, we're, <laughs> and we will also, on all of our social sites, as well as in the description of all these shows, we'll have links directly to Paul so you can track everything that he's writing about. Definitely want to go to InvestorPlace.com. He is a contributor there. And um, and I know he's on the bigger and better things as well. So we can't wait to see your next, hear about your next stop, Paul. I know it's going to be awesome. So, uh, and we definitely can't wait to have you back on the show. So thanks again for joining us today. And thank on you. Behalf, thank you. And on behalf of Tobin Smith at TobinSmith.io, 
and Paula Monica. I am Todd Schoenberger. Thanks again for joining us on Buy Hotel. We'll catch you next time. Take care. Buy, hold, sell, brought to you by Crosscheck Management. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read.